Shalom, salam aleikum, que pasa Mufasa, what's up everybody? I am on the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt today, a place of historic import for no less a reason than it is the location of Mount Sinai, where Moses was handed down the Ten Commandments in Abrahamic liturgy and mythological lore, if you're into such things. But I am not here because of that. In fact, I am here to dive and explore these stunning marine ecosystems of the Red Sea, which I've been doing for the last three days consecutively. And it's miraculous, I'll tell you what. The underwater world, coral reefs in particular, remind me so much of the fungal world. Corals and nebulous amphibious growths that look so, so, so much like lion's mane, like rishi, like romaria, and other terrestrial fungi. Almost like it's all connected, man. Today on the podcast, we've got Roger Holden from Mushroom Magic LLC. Give it up one time. An incredibly talented fellow, super humble, and deeply committed and invested in rolling out innovative mushroom products and services in an authentic and heart-centered way. I'm a big fan, a million reasons why you should be too, and we're going to get into some of those right now. I've got some more diving to do today, going to Cairo tomorrow, going to see some pyramids or something like that. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Damn, it's windy here. You can probably hear that. Might have to go windsurfing today. Lots of irons in the fire here. Thanks for being here. Let's get this show on the road. Okay, Pasa, Mufasa, Roger from Mushroom Magic LLC. Welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast, homie. What's good on the East Coast USA today, Roger? Staying busy, working on extracts, just got some ultrasonic equipment, so I'm uh, going to be playing around with that this week. Well, we're going to get into that shortly, man. That's one of my questions for you is uh, what kind of equipment you're working with. But let's get straight out of business. First off, when did you first form Mushroom Magic LLC, and what did the early days of your micropreneurial venture look like, and how has it evolved until today? Heck yeah. So I actually started mycology, I would say my all of my experience really it stems from um, back when I was 18 I'm 28 now so it's been about 10 years but uh, when I first got to college I had stumbled upon one of Trad Cotter's organic mushroom farming books and pretty much fell in love with it and that was that was like my Bible um, you know I've, I own all the books by Paul Stamets and whatnot but Trad Cotter was really like my my go-to for my first mycology endeavors and um, falling in love with him I reached out in 2015 to um, meet with him at Telluride Mushroom Festival. So went out there and I secured an internship. And when I was in college, I actually worked with him for a summer. And then when I finished school, I moved down to South Carolina for a summer again and uh, worked for them for a little while. So that was my real foot and first foot in the door with mycology. But everything since I've been home in 2017, you know, I've been trying to buy as many books as I can and just pretty much self-teaching myself everything else that I could. Um, I learned pretty much all my all my agar work was was done in the lab with Trad, and other than that, I'm pretty much self-taught. Trad Cotter is a huge inspiration for me, for sure. His book, Organic Mushroom Farming and Mycoremediation, is what got me to take seriously the idea that I could be involved in the mycosphere and whatnot. Before that, I was just a an ardent tripper for years, but after reading... After reading Organic Mushroom Farming and Mycoremediation, that was the first book that introduced me to this idea of mycoremediation. And he's talking about like fungal paper, making paper out of fungi and just all these things that I had no idea you could do. Also, growing, cultivating oyster mushrooms in Haiti after the earthquake as a means of relief and and, uh, 
assure assurances of food just like everything about that book really turned me on and and that's been kind of like no looking back since then so that's awesome to hear that and uh i actually got to meet him at telluride too not you know super in depth but it was cool just to be able to say what's up and shake his hand and all that and i told him that he inspired the podcast and he seemed nonplussed and unimpressed but that's all good so can you tell us a little bit about your educational background you dipped into it a little bit but like university i see that you have a background in food systems and sustainable development i believe you could tell us more about that how did you first get linked up with that and how has your educational background helped to shape the way that you approach mycology so I went to college, I went to Green Mountain College up in Pulteney, Vermont, which actually closed a few years ago. It was one of the small private colleges that's unfortunately closed in the last 10 years uh, due to funding. But I went to school, I got my BA in sustainable agriculture and food production, but I eventually, I originally went to school um, to study environmental sciences. I was very interested in chemistry. When I got to school and saw that it was more focused around agriculture, the sciences, um, they still interest me, but every, I just wanted to do everything hands-on. Um, and, you know, going back, I think that now with what I'm doing with mycology, I think I'd be, you know, more apt and more interested to, to study it a little bit further in the chemical and uh, microbiological aspects of it. But I, I went to school for environmental science first and just fell in love with agriculture. I worked pretty much primarily with animals when I was at school. Um, I started multiple mushroom uh, projects basically. I worked for a farm and started about a thousand logs and a thousand bags of production every couple of weeks. So that was um, that was pretty exciting and that was really my first, I actually did that before I went to Telluride, so that was my first uh, mycological endeavor was with oyster mushrooms. But having gone to college, our college was focused on sustainability. So I was really focused on the sustainable aspect and the ethical impacts of these products. And I saw that, you know, in, in mushroom farming, there's is essentially a lot of waste. And you think about mycology and mushrooms and um, wanting to save the planet and no plastics. But the, the hard reality is that a lot of these big producers are growing with tons of plastics. Um, and a lot of them are not bioavailable or biodegradable, I mean. So I saw that, you know, I was already making a lot of this medicine for myself, essentially, and using it. Um, I'm sure we'll go into that with a little bit more of my background and why I'm very interested in this. But um, essentially, you know, I was already making this stuff and I felt like I was all this, the friends and my family that I was sharing it with. I was getting great feedback and I was like, I should probably start sharing this with more and more people. And decided to start my business and I saw a real gap in the the mushroom market nootropics nutraceuticals in specific is that you know a lot of these products and we've um, you've talked about it on your podcast um, with a couple of your, your you know your past people and uh, a lot of the products out there are mycelial biomass and there's not a ton of people that are growing with a hundred or using 100% mycelial or 100% fruiting bodies in their products and and seeing that gap for basically underdosed mushroom product I wanted to try and fill that and that's really what I'm trying to target right now with my business. Hell yeah, now you're speaking my language, Roger. So something else that you've been sharing with the world that really caught my attention is the Sheila Jeet the shilajit that you're selling bulk amounts of. And I'm not terribly familiar with the properties of shilajit, but I do love exotic shit. And I've had a supplement that a company sent me that had shilajit listed in the ingredients, but it was tucked away in there with a half dozen other things, other superfood buzzwords. So I don't know, I don't have much of a frame of reference for its properties and its origins, etc. I just know I want some of yours. So what's the deal with shilajit and why do you call it Himalayan jet fuel? Gosh, I could probably talk for 45 minutes just about this one question, but you know, there's there's a lot of different forms of it. You know, there's a liquid, there's powders, there's the resin. 
Um, and it really depends on where in the world it's, it's, it's harvested from. So not all shiliji is the same. Um, and a lot of vendors out there are actually selling stuff that's either fake. It's just like a, like a black hard tar that's edible. Um, I can't think of the name off the top of my head. It starts with a, an F or an A. Um, but I'll get back to you on that for sure. But a lot of the products out there aren't third-party tested either. So the the shiliji that I've been grabbing, um, I've been using it on and off. I go through like periods of you know a month or two where I use it, and then I go through like a couple weeks where I don't use it, and then I'm like, why did I stop taking it? Um, you know, I'm in the gym every morning, and when I don't take my cordyceps or my shiliji, like I definitely notice a difference. So. Um, the main component of shiliji is fulvic acid. So fulvic acid and humic acid, uh, plants also love this. So shiliji in the cannabis community has been gaining a lot of popularity and traction. Um, they're doing, you know, side-by-side -side case studies, you know, part group A doesn't get in, group A does get the shiliji and it's just like exponential growth compared to the stuff that's not. Um, but it essentially has all trace minerals and vitamins that your body needs. It's very similar to sea moss in uh, the chemical composition. Uh, but it's extremely bioavailable for your body. So essentially just like really warm water, you drop a little bit, a little ball in it, you know, maybe the size of a pea, let it melt and then drink it. And um, it's it's kind of like, for me, it feels like cordyceps in the sense where I kind of feel like a, not a tightness in my chest, but like an expansion of like energy. Um, and it's, there's no jitters or like crash from it. it it's amazing. If you look, if you look up some of the studies, it, it's right up, right under there with uh, cordyceps for, um, for sexual and, and performance as well it's it's unbelievable for your body it just gives your body everything it needs at a cellular level hell yeah well you heard it here folks roger mushroom magic llc is your new shilajit plug so hit him up all right so you've got a ton of extraordinary functional mushrooms at your fingertips too i've been seeing you're doing extracts and concentrates and whatnot bulk cordyceps militaris you've got bulk rishi lion's mane etc and that must be an awesome feeling just to have all of that at your fingertips. And friends of mine who own tincture companies tell me that they sometimes drink whole bottles of cordyceps tincture or lion's mane tincture at a time, and that doing so can grant one almost superhuman powers, which I'm extraordinarily down for. So I'm curious, Roger, having all of these amazing compounds and mushrooms and whatnot at your fingertips, what does your daily mushroom regimen look like? And have you ever pounded a whole bottle of tincture at once? All right, so we'll dive into that. It's a good question. Um, and this is actually why I'm very interested in, uh, in mycology and trying to fill this gap. So a lot of these companies that are out there right now are you know, producing extracts, tinctures, uh, powdered dry extracts that are essentially, you know, they might call it like a one-to-one -one or there might be like a, a 100 to one on some of these extract powders you see on Amazon. But a lot of, the, a lot of these products are mycelial biomass or you know some of the i guess another example like cordyceps that people are buying online for like um, an extremely inexpensive amount it's like most of these mushrooms are coming from overseas that are extremely low priced um, it's not because they're growing them on large scale and like that is definitely a factor but um, unfortunately some of these companies and this happens with plants too they're actually extracting the stuff out of it dehydrating it again and then repackaging it and selling it at, you know, at a much lower price. So you're buying something that's already been, has all the cordycepin or adenosine taken out of it. Um, and then they sell it and it still technically has other constituents so they can, you know, they can get prices for it or they can get money for it. But the gap I'm trying to fill is, you know, with the, the cannabis industry, um, I worked in the recreational sector in Massachusetts for a little while. Um, I'm also very interested in cannabis. And just like real quick, this kind of ties into it. But when I was in um, 
eighth grade, I was diagnosed with IBS. I've dealt with stomach problems pretty much my whole life until I was um, about like 21, 22 coming out of college. I've had mononucleosis. I had one of the worst cases they'd seen um, in the state in over like 10 or 20 years. I lost about 40 pounds when I was in high school um, and I'm not very big to begin with. So I was very sick and then I ended up getting Lyme's disease when I got to college. Uh, so functional mushroom products and cannabis has been extremely helpful, specifically CBD. It's just been extremely helpful for everything that I've been dealing with. Um, but back to tying that back into cannabis, uh, with the mushroom market, you know, there's, if you hear, you know, mushroom concentrates, there's really nothing out there. There's, I would ar honestly argue that there's maybe a handful of us that are, that are really dabbling in this field right now. Um, some of my close friends through Instagram, um, that are also, you know, own mushroom companies are playing around with concentrating their extracts. And I feel that that's a... I think that that's going to be the market that we start to see a huge explosion in. You know, the people from cannabis uh, are getting interested in it because there's, you know, a projected billions of dollars in the mushroom industry with nutraceuticals over the next 10 years. And um, that raises a flag for a lot of people. But I think that we haven't seen mushroom concentrates before. So you were asking if I've ever, if I've ever drank a whole thing of tincture. So I was actually making up cordyceps tincture yesterday and um, some of my concentrate gummies that I make. So I actually, I run all of my extracts through a sock slit first. I'll go through the extraction. I guess this is probably like another question you might've had, but so I, uh, I run everything through my sock slit first. And then after it's through this, after it's run through the sock slit, um, I usually replace my, whatever my, my material in the sock slit a couple of times. So as to saturate, um, the solvent itself, whether it's the water or the ethanol. And then once those are combined, I run them through a filter funnel to remove any of like any heavy sediment that might have passed through in the spirits. Um, so once that's done, we are removing the water either through a dehydration or evaporation technique. You can use rotary evaporators work extremely well and they do it in like one to four hours for most of these solvents. So taking the tincture and then concentrating it down, removing all of the liquid. Um, and with the cordyceps, I hadn't seen anyone do it yet. Um, I did it about a month, two months ago, I believe, um, for the first time. And it produced these crazy crystals. I have to share some on your page so you can link them um, for people to see because it's, it's a really crazy picture. Um, and I took actually took some pictures under my microscope of the crystals themselves too. And, you know, they have a crystalline structure, but we're not really sure too much about it because nobody's doing this concentration work yet. Um, so once we have that, we then take the concentrate and run it under vacuum, just like they do in the cannabis industry as to remove, you know, any residual water or solvent that's in there. Um, and then I use those concentrates. I do that for lion's mane, reishi, and cordyceps. Uh, and that's what I make, that's what I use to make my cordyceps, my concentrate gummies. So you were saying, asking if I'd ever eaten or drank like a, a large dose of cordyceps. So I'm pretty active in the gym. I work out like every day. It's one of those things that just keeps me in check uh, mentally. And cordyceps have been probably the most amazing supplement that I've tried over the course of the last like five or six years. They're absolutely jet fuel for the gym. And if you haven't tried cordyceps yet, hit up your friend that's growing them. Hit me up, get some cordyceps and try them out. Go for a run, do some yoga. It's an amazing experience. Like cordyceps, you can really feel more than you can feel a lot of other mushrooms. There is an immediate effect from them. Um, but back to that, so the concentrate. Um, you know, I take about one to two grams of cordyceps at a time. That's probably a lie. I like to take just like a handful of cordyceps from my jar and throw it in my tea. I like higher doses of cordyceps. You can really feel it. Uh, it's not like caffeine. It's not like a pre-workout. There's no 
kind of jittery anxiety sweating like you're paranoid from the caffeine it's not like that it's just like a very attentive um, focused energy and when I so my first time I made the gummies um, you know I had a bunch of reject gummies that broke in the molds or there was bubbles that were in them so they collapsed and uh, I found that I'd probably eaten like seven or eight of them and I usually recommend people eat like one gummy um, so I'd eaten like seven or eight of them and I was just cleaning up the kitchen and I found that I like I hadn't been focused like that like in the zone like that in an extremely long time and that's actually what really led me to want to concentrate more of the lion's mane and the reishi so after having that experience um, I concentrated the reishi and the lion's mane and man, same things like um, between you and me, like and everyone that's listening. You know, my girlfriend, she's a uh, pretty high energy, and she eats the reishi concentrate gummies, and it really does chill her out. Um, when she eats the the cordyceps ones, it gets her zinging. And the lion's mane is uh, it's very unique. Um, and uh, you had Mike Tyson on this podcast, and Mike's extract, his Heresium Labs. I think he's on to the same exact thing that we're talking about right now. It's like the concentrating these compounds. The lion's mane is like there's so much focus um, and just like a really chill level that's brought in. It's hard to explain because, um, you know, I have a lot of experience with other adaptogens and herbs, traditional Chinese medicine. It's what I'm very interested in. But uh, these mushroom concentrates, like I've never tried anything like it before. And... I was actually, I was getting a tattoo in Salem, Massachusetts a couple years back and the guy that was doing it, he was like, hey, like you're into mushrooms, like you're starting this business. He's like, have you ever tried like a high dose of reishi before? And I was like, never even heard of it. So I went home and looked it up and you know, there was an article, I think it might've actually been by Vice for lack of better, you know, sources. And uh, it was like getting high on reishi. And I'm sure you could, anyone listening to this can Google it, but the, the extract from reishi, it's, you know, it's 100% legal and it really chills you out. It, it's like pretty impressive. So with that being said, like, I think that the concentrates are about to break through and take this mushroom game to a whole nother level. Hell yeah. And there's already a lot of nuanced dialogue, I guess, in the space. And we're pretty connected, I suppose, both of us to a lot of the folks that are doing this type of work. And so we're able to kind of learn as we go. Because, you know, something I've learned from Alex Dorr, who's a good friend of mine who runs Mushroom Revival, and he does a lot of cordyceps specifically, concentrates. He has spent time in China before, and we're like 4,000 years behind China with our mushroom industry, where you can go to China to a, a grocery store, and they've got a dozen different types of craft cordyceps, like we have craft beer, where they have cordyceps grown on different substrates. And it's just like our grocery store where we'd find portobellos or or what a button mushrooms they have that but with functional mushrooms with cordyceps and wow can you imagine like walking into a whole foods or like trader joe's or whatever a decade from now and they've got just like reishi you've got your mushroom magic reishi in there and you've got your craft cordyceps like i'd love to see that future and that timeline unfold personally and in the meantime, it's cool just to get it from friends, you know. I have a partner, a business partner, where we make some tinctures, and I use the Royal Wee. He does all of the heavy lifting, and I just fucking taste test it. But it's awesome, you know. We're extracting in Mezcal and kind of just learning as we go. Also making chocolate. That's something we've been into because we have huge amounts of the best cacao in the world, quite frankly. Like here in Chiapas is one of the cradles of cacao. And we go out to the forests and to these multi-generational families that have been tending to cacao and, and the you know biodiverse shade-grown cacao when all of their neighbors are selling the property to farm cattle and destroying the biodiversity. So there's something urgent that I see here of like wanting to continue this tradition and invest in it because people in a lot of cases they want the quick money and 
you know, there's not as much of a market for cacao. That's kind of a tangent. But anyways, it's been really interesting to like kind of see all these products rolled out into the landscape and to track their lineages of these different products and their origins and the the narrative framework that a lot of them are encompassed in because so many unscrupulous proprietors and so many entrepreneurs, you know, they see the quick money and they, they want to do, you know, order stuff in bulk and then package it and slap a label on it. And I even saw an article, which I'll see if I can reference it, if I can pull it up, but out of like 29 different supplements in a random grocery store that claimed that they had functional mushrooms in them, like a fraction of them actually tested for those compounds. And those that did, it was very diluted and low ratios. So it's obviously something that I'm sure you're familiar with and that you know, you're working to bridge the gap right there. I'm curious about if you've learned anything particularly valuable and your extraction journey that you could pass on to folks listening in regards to best practices or things to avoid. Yeah, so I've actually, gosh, I could I could talk your ear off with this one. Just having worked with the Soxlet for about a year now, um, there's so many little tips and tricks. And uh, just like a quick little plug, I'm probably going to be putting together um, a class. I've, I've, had, I've had a lot of people actually reach out, like a ton of people reach out to me and ask about Soxlet uh, extraction. And it's really just one extraction style and tool. Um, there is a lot of other really great methods out there, but you know, a lot of people see me using the Soxlet, so they've, re- they've reached out and I think I'm going to end up, instead of doing consultations, I think I'm just going to end up teaching a class on it, um, and pretty much putting together all of that information. But one of the things that I've, that I've two of, I guess two of the biggest things that I've, um, that I've learned, I guess three, we'll keep it at three, um, for a Soxlet. So when you're using the Soxlet itself, so the bottom bulb is called your boiling flask. The piece in the middle that holds the, the mushrooms or the herbs, um, that's your Soxlet apparatus. And then the top piece with the coils, that's the condenser. So in the Soxlet itself, it was pretty much standard to use um, a cellulose thimble or a glass thimble. I started using rosin bags for pressing out cannabis. Um, I use a 25 micron bag and I basically powder the mushrooms and I fill those bags, fold them over and staple them. Um, and then stuff those in the Soxlet. And those bags are the ones that I interchange throughout the process so that I can keep saturating um, whatever solvent that I'm using, whether it's the water or ethanol. What that does is it really helps keep your Soxlet clean. Um, I would argue that I probably could even avoid doing the vacuum filtering that I do, but I do it as just like a final precautionary step because you know I would personally feel better if somebody was taking extra precaution just to make sure their stuff was clean. So I, I take that step. Um, for everyone else's safety as well as mine but the putting it in the rosin bags just it, i haven't seen anyone doing it yet and i had some lying around i was like shit might as well try it and it works awesome um super clean keeps your socks let's set up very clean the other thing um step two or the point two make sure you build a little box if you don't have a cooler um a lot of people use a like a bucket like a five gallon bucket with water and ice to keep their condenser cold uh, I went out and got an aquarium chiller for like $500. Uh, it's made a world of difference. I, it just it keeps the water that much colder so you don't have to continuously throw ice in a bucket. Um, getting that set up and then the third thing, at the very top of your condenser, there's a you know an opening for the a gas to escape or the if it fill, starts to fill up. And the only reason that it would start to come out of the coils is if the water wasn't cold enough. So you always want to make sure that you have couple frozen water bottles that's what I use I just change up change out frozen water bottles in my cooler every couple of hours to keep the water cold Um, but the top this is really cool top has a little hole in the condenser a little opening 
if you take a vacuum and if you have a tall enough condenser, if you run this under vacuum, you can actually run your Soxlet at lower temperatures. So a lot of people don't use the Soxlet because they're scared of heat. Uh, a lot of these compounds aren't too sensitive with the heat that we use from the Soxlet. Um, and we honestly won't really know until we start getting more like, you know, lab analytical data. And I've been talking with, you know, some people from Fungi Academy and actually Alex Dorr, we've talked back and forth multiple times about this, I actually helped him like years ago when he was first getting his cordyceps started. I went out with a couple people and we grew like, I think we did like 10,000 jars in one day in one autoclave. It was insane. Um, but yeah, these, uh, these, these products and that's, that's really the, I guess the, to say the last thing about a Soxlet, like it really is just another extraction technique because you could essentially take like a crock pot and that you had on a temperature probe and macerate your mushrooms and just throw it in it, strain it out. And you know, with heat, you're gonna have essentially have the same product if you're doing it low and slow at the right temperatures. But uh, running it under vacuum, that's like one of the coolest things I've found over the last year because you can really lower your temperatures on the Soxlet. Hell yeah. Well, thanks for indulging me with that. A lot of that just went over my head, but I'll be editing this later and I'll unpack it a little bit and do some Googling. Also, shout out Dinkelberg. Shout out Michael Blast. That one was for y'all. I know that there's a lot of people listening that are flirting with extractions, you know, at various degrees of experience. And yeah, let's make some kick-ass extractions, everybody. Let's fucking go. So uh, you've got an Alex Gray poster behind you. I think it's fair game to go into psilocybin mushrooms. I'd love to hear about your first psilocybin mushroom experience and how maybe that impacted your view of the world and you know if you've picked up any other tricks of the trade in subsequent voyages for best practices and whatnot. That's, uh, I feel like this is such like a cliche. We all have a very similar story with this, but you know... Um... I didn't have any experience with psychedelics or anything along those lines until I got to college. I went to private Catholic school basically my whole life. Um, didn't really believe in like everything that I was learning and I saw just a lot of loopholes in what they were teaching and always felt that it was kind of weird that they made everybody feel bad for certain things. And um, for lack of better like explanation, it really made me like think for myself. And um, it wasn't until I got to college that I was for lack of better expression, just like fully engulfed in the environmental and festival scene. Basically everyone I went to school with, it was just like 24 seven festival. Um, everyone was still going to classes and getting good grades, but I went to school with some real crunchy people that um, really enjoyed to explore the, you know, their subconscious, their conscious. And that was, that was pretty much a highlight of most people's like four year at Green Mountain. If you look up Green Mountain College, it was like a pretty big party school. Um, so I was around a lot of that throughout college. Um, but my first experience, there was this spot that we used to hang out in college. It was down by this, we had uh, about 80 miles of trails on this river behind the campus. And uh, everyone used to hang out there. And one day I was down with a bunch of, um, it was my, my freshman year actually, I was with a bunch of seniors that I had befriended in the first couple of weeks of school and we just kind of hit it off. And, uh, you know, they didn't never pressured me into anything or made me feel uncomfortable. I always felt super safe when I was hanging out with people from school. Um, but one day we were just sitting around smoking some joints at the river. And um, my friend was like, hey, like, you ever tried mushrooms before? Like, is it something that interested you? And pulled out a big bag of them and everyone was eating them. And I was like, oh, I've like, never, never eaten them before. But he gave me a free one, he gave me a free bag. And it was just one mushroom in it. So I was like, it can't be that much. It's just one mushroom. So, uh sitting on the river and I've got my feet in the water and just kind of like laying back. I eat it, don't think anything of it. 
and uh, I'm pr pretty stoned at this point, honestly. I'm just kind of staring up at the sky and everything's starting to swirl and breathe. And I had never even really read about mushrooms, to be honest. Like, I kind of just dove in headfirst. Um, didn't really have any anxiety. I would say that that probably came with, like, future experiences, knowing, like, the power of, you know, the substance that you're consuming. And um, my first experience, like, I went through some pretty traumatic stuff from eighth grade to high school just with being sick, um, missing out on a lot of experiences that were like normal for high schoolers. Um, just because I was sick, having to stop playing sports. I played sports my whole life, snowboarded my whole life. Um, I had to get put on basically Adderall ADHD medication because I could not physically focus. Like I just couldn't bring my mind, my brain together. Um, I had about four concussions within six months, pretty bad concussions. So functional mushroom products and CBD have helped me tremendously with all of that. Um, but my first trip, I ate that mushroom, everything was starting to swirl and breathe. I got my feet in the water and uh, I felt like I was becoming part of the water. And I feel like that's very uh, cliche. It's like if everyone has an experience like this, like becoming the couch or the sofa. Um, but I started to just like slip into the water, you know, and I wasn't moving or anything. I was just sitting there in reality, but um, I felt all this grief and uh, like sadness coming up from my legs and just like rising up my body and I could physically see it and it was manifesting as like this is uh, this dark darkness coming up through my feet that was also the water and I could see it like coming up me and uh, it got close to my heart and I started to feel like relief uh, which is like heart weird I started to feel relief which is you know I was it was coming closer to me I thought I was gonna be more scared but the closer it got um, I just felt more relief and less like I wasn't as scared and it basically just like took over all of me and I was laying there and I was like watching and this was a, this was only an eighth this was like I came to find out it was about three and a half grams in that bag um, it was just like a big cat and uh, as it took over my my being, my body, I was sitting there and I was had I was you know I wasn't in my body or out of body, but I was just watching these like visions and images, and I was seeing myself having gone through um, high school and getting to college. And I basically finished high school like two days before getting up to college. I basically self-taught myself through my senior year um, with the help of you know my teachers from home and whatnot. But I wasn't in class asking questions and. It was pretty difficult and I finished two days before going to college and all of the, these things were coming up, you know, I was like, fuck, I'm not going to think about these things and you, you, don't know, you don't know what to expect, you don't know what the mushrooms are going to bring up and uh, I felt a relief, I felt that a forgiveness, that was the word I was looking for, um, I kept stumbling on it, but yeah, I felt I was able to forgive myself and I was watching just images and videos of basically... Um, these scenes of myself going through high school and for the first time ever I was able to view myself from a perspective of like my friends and my family and it's not that you know, I'm an only child and I've had a lot of experiences where you know, I've been there for like other friends in my life that have a ton of siblings and I've never had that um, so I've always been there as like that friend for people but I was able to like feel that for myself for the first time ever and uh, it, it really just set the set the stage moving forward. I was like everything that I was doing ev after that experience. Like I woke up the next day. I remember calling my parents and being like, "I love the fuck out of you guys. I am so thankful and appreciative for you guys and everything you've done for me." And 
Um, you know, I've always been empathetic and grateful and appreciative, but man, that, that really made me feel it for the first time ever in my life. And moving forward, I just felt like every relationship, um, that I've had has just, has been stronger and connected better through, you know, having had that experience and being able to forgive myself. I didn't think I was ever going to feel like that. And, uh, it was just really beautiful. And that's honestly why I've, I've, for this last year, I've been working with this group called Base Daters for Natural Medicine. Um, and we've been trying to flip the scale and decriminalize cities and towns within Massachusetts. And so far we've gotten four. Um, so we're going to keep decriminalizing and we're pushing for Boston. And we just got Worcester County, which is where I'm from. Worcester County is going to be doing some um, trials for veterans and first responders. Um, hopefully we'll get it passed for opiate addiction and then pass the state. So, you know, no, nobody should be criminalized or thrown in jail for trying to heal themselves. And it's just such a loophole that we need to get around. Hell yeah. Um, hell yeah. I'd like to have base staters on the podcast at some point. So we'll have to finesse that. And, uh, I love sharing stories as they trickle into my sub trickle from my subconscious back up to right now. So I love sharing stories on the podcast about some of my trips over the years. And one that just came to mind I want to share is when I got to meet one of my heroes on mushrooms. And they say like, don't meet your heroes. And in this case, it was kind of like my fault, you know, not necessarily the hero's fault. And it's this super producer named Daniel Lenoir, who's like a total legend. He's produced a couple U2 albums, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, and makes like really avant-garde music now. And he was doing this new project playing pedal steel guitar with Rocco De Luca, who's another awesome artist. And I got invited to the album release at his house in LA. And it's this absolute magnificent palace in Silver Lake up in the hills. And I've been around a lot of like music industry stuff, but this was like another level. You know, this was like the celebrity glitterati. You know, he had like a dozen Grammys out where you could just like pick up and examine his Grammys. And so of course I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna take like a half eighth of mushrooms and just like fully surrender to this experience which I did. We get in there. The show's unbelievable. You know, they're doing this ambient music. The record's called Goodbye to Language, and I totally recommend it. It's just so beautiful. Two virtuosos doing their thing on a pedal steel guitar. And so I'm like floating away, completely fulfilled, second-guessing myself that this is really happening, that I'm really at Daniel Lenoir's house, you know, sitting very close to him while he's doing this private concert, you know, for 100-plus people, like a pretty small audience. And after the show, I had a chance to chat with him. And, you know, I, there was also an open bar. So I was like hitting some really good tequila and I was like, I'm just going to go. It's now or never. And I actually, this is kind of like not the move, but, uh, when you don't know what you're doing, you make a lot of those moves. I brought a thumb drive that had a demo from some music I had produced on it thinking, you know, and in, in my mind that like, he's going to like take it and be like, Oh my God, I thank you so much. I'm going to sign you right here on the spot. And he was cool about it. So, you know, I gave him the thumb drive and I just, uh, I introduced myself in French. That was the mistake because for some reason I thought he spoke French too. His last name's Lenoir. He sings a couple songs in French. So I'm like, Comment allez-vous? Je m'appelle Denis. And he just like looks at me like this side eye. And you know that look where you're like, damn, I fucked up. This was a social snafu right now. <laughs> he just like looks at me and he's like, he looks at our mutual friend who invited me to the party. He's like, is this your friend from Germany? And then at that point I was like, God damn, man, I blew my intro. I blew it. I got to redo the entrance here. Anyways, he was cool. He showed us some unreleased music after that. And we're like in this absurd studio he has with like tons of one of a kind equipment, you know, like 
amps from the Grateful Dead and, you know, a soundboard from this person and that person. And he's showing us music that he just produced with Venetian Snares, who's another really awesome Canadian artist. And that was just like one of those experiences for me that kind of like makes life worthwhile, where you're like, magic can happen, dreams can come true, shit can pop off, just be ready for it. And so that's my my mushroom story for this podcast. All right, so I'd like to get back to, um, well, actually, let's stay on the subject of music. What kind of music do you like to listen to? Who who are some of your go-to artists, some of your live concert experiences? I know you're into the you were into the crunchy jam stuff, but uh, just curious to hear about your musical repertoire. Man, so I like I am a jack of all trades when it comes to music selection. I will listen to everything from like super crazy dubstep to the dead and hip hop. Like I really don't have the only thing I don't really listen to is like um like poppy country or like k-pop but i listen to pretty much everything bob seger to the dead um outcast to biggie smalls like i just i love music that's really my my most i guess like my most sought after genre i think is still just jam bands like i'm a huge fan of the dead my dad's my dad's an old deadhead um they traveled around for a little while so i've kind of been in that culture listening to that music my whole life um but two of my other really big favorite bands, I love Pigeons playing ping pong. Um, and then, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm think dropping a blank right now. Pigeons playing ping pong. Um, oh, and Lettuce. Have you ever heard of Lettuce? I was going to say Lettuce. That's what popped into mind when you're talking jam bands. Yeah, my mind went right there. Yeah, I love Lettuce, man. I, they're fantastic. <laughs> right on. Do you yourself, do you play any instruments or perform? So I don't perform, but I've been playing guitar on and off since I was like eight. Um, wasn't consistent for a very long time, but in the last couple of years, I've picked it up, and it's it's really been it's really been awesome. I've been uh, giving serious deliberation to starting a rap career. I think that the world's ready for it, and uh, I have a lot of fun just you know being a goofball. And so we'll see. TBD Trip Trap is the name I'm thinking. I might have to go by, but I'm gonna be definitely. Uh, just seeing how it goes, testing the water, and uh, we'll see if that ever sees the light of day. But I'm definitely compelled. I feel compelled to do that. So I'm curious if you can share wh- what are some things you're working on right now that you can share with us without revealing too much. You know, would love to hear about some of the projects we can look forward to over the next six months or so. Heck yeah. So um, just like the beginning of this podcast, I said that I just got my ultrasonic equipment. Um, I'll have to send you some pictures of it. I don't have it set up yet, but. Essentially, I'm going to be doing everything I'm doing with my socks lit, um, just oversaturating the solution, these tinctures, as much as I can with as many pounds of mushrooms until um, basically the solvents can't take it. That's the next thing that I really want to work on is figuring out how much dried product that we can put into, you know, say a gallon of ethanol or a gallon of water um, until it just won't take anymore. So figuring that out, um, coupling that with the ultrasonic extraction techniques, you know, some people are putting like warm water or letting the water heat up inside of the ultrasonic machine itself to create the heat that's going to extract, you know, say cordycepin or adenosine and um, doing it that way. But I have a couple different things that I kind of want to work on and we can share that briefly, but running with the socks lit. You know, you do your socks lit extraction, combine your water and ethanol, 
and then basically taking like jars of that and running it in the ultrasonicator. My other thought process is maybe taking it, removing the liquid like I've been doing, and then resuspending it in water and then ultrasonicating it. I'm not sure if that's going to be the best method. Um, again, without lab and analytical, a lot most of this and a lot of it is anecdotal, so we can only really stand on the shoulders of you know, what's been done so far in the cannabis community and that kind of research because, you know, that's where a lot of the money is. So they're using sonicators in that technology and we've seen some of these nano-enhanced, um, you know, edibles come out and I had a friend that ate nano-enhanced or drank a nano-enhanced drink a couple months back and uh, I think it was like a 100 milligram drink and she usually doesn't think anything of it and she drank the whole thing and she was high for like two days and it kicked in in like four minutes. So I think that the, the nano-emulsification and this ultrasonic technology, I think it's really going to change the game with uh, with mushrooms and it, it becoming more affordable um, and people hearing about it on this podcast. And I'm, I think it's going to it's really going to take off. That's what's up. Well, thank you very much, Roger from Mushroom Magic LLC for joining us on the Mycopreneur podcast. It's been a blast. I really learned a lot today and I'm sure I'm going to learn even more when I'm editing this and Googling all the links and whatnot. So and please send those photos over when you got a chance, man. Have a great day. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. You too. Take care. Que onda, my friends. Gotta refresh the outro too. So what'd you think of this episode? Drop us a line. Hit the DMs on Instagram at Michaelpreneur Podcast or dare I say TikTok. Yes, we've been engaging in TikTokery as of late. And while I have your attention, Ego Death Magazine is actively soliciting content submissions and recurring contributor roles. Just take a look at the type of content exhibited thus far at www.egodeathmagazine.com to get an idea of what sort of materials we are looking to platform. So don't be a stranger. Bridges, not borders, baby. All right, you take care of yourself now. I'll be seeing you around. Ciao, au revoir, sayonara, and adios, motherfuckers. <laughs>